Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. I'm your host, Richard Kraus, and no, you don't have to take your shoes off. Come on in, curl up by the fireplace, maybe fix yourself a drink, and sit back and listen to my interviews with some really fascinating people. We'll talk to George Miller today. Now, George Miller will always probably be best known as the director of the Mad Max movies. But this year, at age 70, he made a movie that is not only the best action movie of the last year, maybe the year before that and the year before that, but I predict it's the best action movie that's going to come out in the next five years. Mad Max Fury Road. We'll talk to George Miller about why he kept his doctor's license long after he was making movies that were making waves internationally. We'll also talk to one of my favorite people, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro grew up in Mexico reading famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, a magazine that I loved as well, but his relatives, namely his grandmother, didn't like it nearly as much as he did. We'll talk about that with Guillermo. And finally, Carol Spinney comes by the House of Kraus. You probably don't recognize the name. You might not recognize the face if he walked down the street, but he's created two of the most enduring characters of the 20th century, Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. He's the man behind the felt and the feathers of Big Bird, and we talked to him about how Big Bird almost came to a very tragic ending. This would have been traumatizing for an entire generation of children, myself included. First up though, George Miller. George Miller is best known as a director. Now, if you've got kids, you totally took them to see the Top Dancing Penguin movies, Happy Feet 1 and 2. If your kids are like just a little bit older, you probably took them to see Babe, A Pig in the City. If you don't have kids, or maybe even if you do, you've seen The Witches of Eastwick, Lorenzo's Oil. For me, though, it's all about the Mad Max movies. Mad Max 1, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. This year, 30 years after making Beyond Thunderdome, he's back, 70 years old, and he's made Mad Max Fury Road. And I said it earlier, I'll say it again. The best action movie, not just of this year, but probably of the last five years, and I predict probably the best action movie of the next five years too. It's terrific stuff. If you haven't seen it yet, don't waste your time listening to this podcast. Get out there and see the movie, and then come back and, and rejoin us. Interesting to talk to him, though, because he's not just a film director, and he's not just a producer, and not just a writer. He's also a doctor, and when he was making the first two Mad Max movies, he kept his license, but he kept it not just because he thought everything was going to fall apart. He kept it for very practical reasons. I worked for two and a half years in a big city hospital, and then I stayed registered right up past... Uh, 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 Mad Max 2, Road Warrior. Really? Yeah. Just in case it all fell apart or something? Or? Well, it was, I never even thought there would be a career. And right. I, I always was still interested in medicine. I went through medical school with my twin brother. Yeah. And uh, we... Uh, but but, but it, I, Well, I started a doctor on the first Mad Max because we kept running out of money in post-production. So it was, uh, we were working. <laughs> and it took over a year to cut that film. Yeah. And... Uh, and and then I stayed through to the second Mad Max because if you're doing stunts, it was, you had to have uh, it was, you're obliged to have a doctor on set. So, so, 
you know, there weren't big budgets, and I thought I could do that. And then I was running, ended up running a clinic during lunchtime, and uh, with you know cuts and sunburn yeah. and stuff Scrapes like that, and all scrapes all and things. And, and then as time went on, I realised from my twin brother that uh, you know I kept losing the knowledge and, uh, and not keeping up with it. And then you know, and you can't do both. Well, I think I see uh, a line, though, between your former career and the movies. I, I see in the film, or maybe an interest in anatomy, certainly. Yeah. You know, Furiosa has one arm. There are people who are deformed in the movie. There's all sorts of uh, interesting physiology in the film. And I was wondering, when I was watching it, having known that you were a doctor, if that is something that is a, a, a straight line. I'm I'm uh, very very much aware of it. I mean, to uh, of that you want something to be authentic. Authentic. Yeah. Uh, you want to feel as though it's really there. So, um, uh, but you know, people would ask. Well, I don't think I'd be the filmmaker I am uh, unless I had that that, that medical education. Right. Um, uh, 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 and and in a very direct way, well, uh, in two very direct ways. One, uh, both of them have a lot of problem solving yeah. in that. Yeah. But the most important one is that as a doctor, you're looking uh, at people in extremis from many points of view. Right. So you might look at, you know, uh, as an epidemiologist, uh, the broader issues. I've been assisting as a junior doctor in, in, in neurosurgery where you're touching the brain of someone you've just had a conversation with probably two or three hours before. Uh, you look inside of people. Um, you see people uh, in, during birth, childbirth yeah. and death and, you know, and, and so on. So you're shifting and, and you know, through, through microscopes, right. through a lens, yeah. a, a yeah. lens yeah. and so you, you're looking uh, from many, many points of view. It's exactly what you do in cinema. Yeah. You, you, you big, huge, long, wide shots, massive crowds, <laughs> or you're looking right down into someone's uh, uh, um, you know, brain, in someone's yeah. head. Even in this movie, you kind of get inside Max's head. He has a sudden yeah. dream, he wakes up, and he's, you, know, you, 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 you see things like that. So that's that that's only recently an awareness that I have but I'm, and, and, and so there's a it, that's fascination with who we are which is it, it, which I think all storytellers or every human being is interested in but I, I was privileged with 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 a unique uh, point of view being a doctor let me top up everybody's drinks while we listen to a little bit of my chat with Guillermo del Toro. Now, if he had never made another movie after he made The Devil's Backbone or Pan's Labyrinth, that would be okay. He would still be remembered as one of the great horror filmmakers. These are movies that really get down and bore themselves into your heart and your mind. And once you see them, I don't think you'll ever forget them. Since then, of course, he's made a lot of great movies, produced a lot of great movies. He's written books. There's the television show, The Strain. We're talking about a long time ago. We're talking about before he made movies, when he was a monster-obsessed kid living with his grandmother in Mexico. 
She used to buy him Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, even though she didn't approve of it. I had a horrible childhood <laughs> emotionally. I, I, yeah, I, I didn't. I was not a child that got like beaten or locked in a closet, but I I really had a very intense, shall we say, very intense relationship with the uh, the horror of Catholic uh, guilt and the Catholic dogma and uh, you know all this. My my grandmother was a very very. It was like Piper Laurie in, in Carrie. You know? Yes. Yeah. So you know it was. I I was like. A chubby version of Carrie, and 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 it was very difficult for me to get over that. And at the same time, I forged an alliance with the monsters when I was a kid. Right. So it's completely autobiographical in that sense. My my imaginarium sort of gets created in my early early years. Mm -hmm. I jokingly say that I spent forty years trying to recuperate from the first eight, but to a degree, it's true. I mean, I I really suffered intensely. In the first 10 years of my life, I, I truly would uh, cry uh, at the concept of uh, burning in hell or the concept of purgatory and original sin and all these things that... that and, and Mexican Catholicism is very, very brutal mm -hmm. and very, very gory. So that, that also affected me. And your parents were devout? No, my parents, no. But my, my mother for a while in my, in my life, she was an absent mother. And my father was, like me, a workaholic. Uh, my, my dad, all the discipline I have for work, I got from my dad. At the same time, I didn't get a lot of my dad, you know. But, but, so I lived, mm, most of my childhood I spent uh, with my grandmother. Right. And, and she was, you know, extreme, shall we say. And I've heard uh, a story about you reading Famous Monsters of Filmland, yeah. which was a... a, a magazine that was, I mean, beyond influential for yes. me. We're the same age, so yeah. it was beyond influential for me. And uh, it didn't go over well. No, no, no. I mean, I, I learned I learned uh, to speak English by having a dictionary right. and reading Mad Magazine and Famous Monsters <laughs> and by, by reading the subtitles in, in Universal Monster Movies and, and, and learning what, what they were saying. So I literally was self-taught... Uh, I, in, at a very early age, because I wanted to know what the the, the pictures right. said in the in the magazine, my 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 grandmother uh, really hated that. She was it was strange because she, on the one hand she bought the magazines for me, she really was a very doting right. woman. She was very loving, but but one part of her was really really damaged by religion. She, she, there's no other way of saying it, but she was, she loved me, and she would buy me my comics and my monster comics. But she had a very hard relationship with that, and she would cry also, like, oh, you know, why do you like these things? And uh, like, I would do a monster in plasticine or draw it, and she would cry because it's not beautiful. But she did love me a lot, and, and I loved her. <laughs> Okay, everybody's still comfy? Cool. Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch are probably two of the most recognizable characters of the last 50 years. Five decades. Carol Spinney, not as recognizable unless you know about the man behind the felt and the feathers. The man that makes Oscar and Big Bird come to life. Carol Spinney's been doing that 
for 45, going on 50 years. I chatted with him recently, and he told me all sorts of things I didn't know about Big Bird, one of which I thought was really interesting. Big Bird was at one point set to go into space. Sounds like it could be a great Muppet movie, except that the trip he was supposed to go on had a very, very tragic ending. A big Bird was invited to go into space uh, yeah. and, and luckily didn't make the trip. Can you tell me that story? Yeah, I got a letter, and it was from five astronauts. They were the doomed astronauts, mm-hmm. as you know, uh, that they were doomed, but they didn't know it, nor did we. And they said, "Would you? we, we think that the children of America might be a little more interested in NASA's programs if they saw Big Bird up there. And we, they uh, had already put out feelers that I think it was going to be an NBC show. Mm-hmm. Every morning he'd be on the Today Show. And they'd say, let's go back up to space and see what's happening with on on the the Challenger. You notice they were careful not to mention what, what ship it was. Right. Uh, because it's a, it was a, made a good story. And uh, so... Uh, that he was going to go up there, and uh, that because of course the, the NASA ships look like a, a big funky airplane, uh, and uh, instead of like uh, the neat things in Star Wars and all that, stuff. Mm-hmm. so they thought that kids would finally get more interested if Big Bird was up there. I think they would too, but uh, that they about a month we we I so I said yes, I would love to go. I, I thought I realized it would be dangerous. Although we know who pictured what actually happened. Yeah. About a month later, we, they found out there was no place on the uh, uh, plane to put uh, Big Bird. There's no storage areas. And I, I'm glad I didn't make the suggestion. You know, it, the, the vacuum of space would not hurt the thing. There's a big vacuum-filled um, thing in the back with a, that arm that was made in Canada. Right. And uh, they, they they put things out into orbit that way. Just place it there let go and it just orbits yes uh so uh i said you could they could they could put it out there and just bring it in when we need it so i, I was i said well I, i'll think i'll just let the fates fly all right folks that's it that's all get out the house of kraus is closed for this week you don't have to go home you just can't stay here anymore My thanks to George Miller, Mad Max, Carol Spinney, Big Bird, Oscar the Grouch, and of course, Guillermo del Toro. Stop by again next week. We'll have a few laughs, we'll curl up by the fireplace, and we'll have some fun conversations with interesting people. 